David. Good morning, everybody. Morning, morning. How many of you guys sincerely believe that God is alive and working? How many of you believe that God wants to speak to somebody today? How many of you believe that God actually wants to speak to you? Maybe you're like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> I just think it's crucial that we come to church expecting. Because we know who our God is. And we know the kind of work that he likes to do in our hearts and in our lives and in our communities and in this church. So I do believe that God wants to say something big today to each of us. Um, we are finishing up, as Pastor David just said, our four and a half month journey through the book of Acts. I hope it's spoken to you as much as it's spoken to me. Uh, the way that God has used this book in powerful ways just to transform my own faith this summer. Um, but before we jump into that, I know we were telling you guys a lot that's going on right now. The truth is there's a lot going on. We're kicking off. Uh, but next Sunday, September 13th, uh, we are beginning a week of prayer and fasting as a church. This is part of this month of prayer. The next week we're going to kick into this week of prayer and fasting um, from September 13th to September 20th. And I want to invite everybody who's a part of Trinity to just seek God together with us. Throughout church history, uh, followers of Christ have chosen to give up certain things like food, alcohol, or today, entertainment, media, in order to focus more intently on who God is. There's something powerful about when we, when we temporarily deny ourselves of certain things like these, that we actually awaken a sensitivity and a greater hunger for God. Anybody ever experienced that before? Right? Like there's something powerful that happens when we deny ourselves and begin to follow Christ. Basically, we're saying, God, my need for you is greater than my need for these things. And so our purpose for prayer and fasting is really twofold. First, that we're praying for our society and our nation. Enough said. Second, we're praying for God's direction for our lives individually and for this church as a whole. We need to hear God's voice above all others. Right? So we're kicking this off next Sunday. And so I would invite you guys just to ask God, God, is there anything that I might temporarily give up, either for a week, for a day, for a few days, in order to focus more intentionally on you? Shelby and I have pinpointed some areas where we're going to fast in order to focus more intentionally on God, but what about you? And I don't say this, just a reminder... Fasting is not how we earn God's love. <laughs> and there will be no one here checking in on you to make sure that you're actually doing it. Right? Now, this is between you and God. And we just simply want to invite everybody, a part of Trinity, to do this together. So that we grow together in hearing God's voice. Becoming more sensitive to what he is saying. We want to be tuned in. Because I know the enemy of God, Satan, wants to, wants to sow division, discord, confusion now just as much as ever. But this is how we grow sensitive to the voice of God. So I felt like that needed an explanation this morning. Just before we kick into it next week. Is that, is that fairly clear to everybody? You, you guys Okay. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me, right? Reach out to me. I'll be at the tent after service, um, white tent outside. Come, come ask me any questions you want, um, because this is ultimately a way that we bond in unity as his church, seeking him together. So, with that said, let's finish up Acts. Acts chapter 28. We're in 
finally finishing up this book. What a wild, fun ride it's been. And as some of you guys are turning there, um, over the summer, when Shelby and I would take our three kids to the beach, two of our kids would sprint to the ocean and just dive right in, no problem. But one of our kids would kind of inch his way to the water. He'd see the waves start to come up and he'd do a little this, right? And so kind of come right up. And I watched him do this for about a couple days. And I said, buddy, like, it's okay. Go ahead, jump on in. It's fine, you're safe. He had a floaty on, right? But finally on day three, I said, hey, do you want me just to scoop you up and I'm just going to take you right in? He gives me a nervous look, which I took as a yes. So I just scooped him up, picked him up, we started walking out into the waves together. He would see a wave coming, like down here, and he would death grip my neck. And I said, it's okay, bud. You're safe. And we walk out a little further until eventually the water was well above waist level. At this point, the waves are starting to look way bigger to him. And he sees these waves coming that very likely are going to go over his head. And then once the wave comes, I do a little jump, or I just lift him up to where his head stays above the wave as it comes right through. And at first, like, the death grip was, like, tighter than ever. But after a few of those, his grip started to relax. He even started to laugh. And then, to my surprise, he said, deeper, Dad. Deeper. And I'm not embellishing this. (laughs) But in that moment... I felt like God tugged on my heart. And he said, Kirk, do you see how he just went from fear to faith? He says, I'm doing that in you. Because I don't know about you guys, but over the past six months, I've just felt like wave after wave of discouragement, opposition, confusion. So many opinions. And sometimes you look out there and you're like, this is is scary stuff. I'm not sure if I'm really going to be able to do this. The waves are foreboding, the restrictions, the opinions, the responsibilities. I don't know, God. Maybe I would just be far better if I just stayed on the shore where it's safe. But I felt like in that moment, God was saying, that's not where your purpose is. Let me scoop you up. Let me take you deeper into my purposes for your life. And I want to say, I I love you. I I love God, right? I trust God. But yet the voices in our minds of of doubt, of fear, of insecurity, sometimes they're just so loud saying, like, you're in over your head. You can't do it. You, You step out, you're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be overtaken. But those moments are not the moments when I need to try to figure out how to do it all on my own as much as I need to grip the neck of my father. As he begins to take us up and take us out. And see, that's where our faith begins to grow. It's as we experience him lift us up over each wave of opposition. And you know what happens? The more that our faith begins to grow as we see him lift us up over and over again. What happens after that? Freedom and joy. Deeper, Dad. (laughs) Deeper, Dad. This is fun. And I tell that story because this is a perfect illustration in my mind of the entire book of Acts. 
That from Acts chapter 1, God scoops up his people and he involves them in a mission that is way out of their league. Way bigger than them. But he carries them and although waves of opposition come over and over again, he continues to lift his church up. And we see the way that by the end, as we reach Acts 28, we see this Christ follower named Paul who has been under house arrest in Rome, no, but no one can make him afraid. His body may be chained, but his soul is free, his calling clear, his message bold. So I believe God has something he wants to say to us today in this story. Do you? Do you believe God wants to speak to you today? All right. Let's turn to Acts 28. We're going to start by reading verse 16. Acts chapter 28, finishing it up. Wow. Acts 28, starting in verse 16. You can follow with me on the screens. Everybody tuned in. And as you tune in, again, focus on how does Paul respond, even in the situation he's in. He is in Rome. He finally made it to Rome, but he is in chains. He's under house arrest. What does he do? When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound in this chain. So he just told them the backdrop. They replied, the Jewish leaders in his house, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. So they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and they came with even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will ever be hearing but never understanding. You will ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Pray after me. God, I want to hear you. Open my ears. Open my heart. Change my life. Amen. And I just want to pray real quick. God, I, I, as I come to you, I, my only job is to be faithful. My job is to be faithful and proclaim what it is that you've said. And so may I prove faithful. May you give me the boldness to proclaim your word. And I leave the rest up to you. You are most capable 
We love you. We praise you. May you be glorified above all. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So the last words of the last book of Acts, with all boldness, without hindrance. Isn't that interesting? Here is a man who is completely free. Yeah, he's in chains. <laughs> but I, ironically, his soul is free. And I look at that and I say, man, I want that. Don't you? I want that kind of freedom. To where it, he, it's not about what people think about him. It's not about what the world might try to throw at him. He is a free man focused on one thing. Fulfilling the call that God has in front of him. And I know for some of us, we're like, man, that, that sounds radical. Because for many of us, we're still sitting on the shore. We're looking out, we're like, those waves look awfully scary. I'm not sure I can do that. For some of us, we're not even sure if we buy into this whole Jesus thing. Okay, cool. Like, let's start there. Let's start there. But if we're going to begin to step from the shore and step out into the purpose of, of God for our lives, what do we first need to realize? When our God makes a promise, nothing, there's nothing in heaven or earth that can hold him back from fulfilling it. When our God makes a promise, there's nothing in heaven or earth that can hold him back from fulfilling it. I want us to look back at the beginning of this passage again. Romans, or not Romans, we're in Rome. Acts 28, verse 16. It says, when we came to Rome, stop right there. I need us to get the significance of this moment. We have Paul, the, the missionary to the Gentiles, has now arrived at the Gentile capital. This is the political, cultural epicenter of the Gentile world. I mean, imagine like a New York City and a Washington, D.C. combined into one. That was the significance of this city. And now he is preaching about God's kingdom in Caesar's city. This is a big deal. And it's an even bigger deal because we realize that this was part of God's promise to Paul. If you track back in your minds, those who've been following with us in Acts, all the way back in Acts 23, verse 11, when Paul was sitting in a jail cell in Jerusalem, God said, don't be afraid, I'm going to take you to Rome. And you're going to testify there. But, but, but since that moment in Jerusalem, there have been wave after wave of opposition coming against him. Think about all that God had to lift Paul over in order to get to Rome. He was arrested. He was tried before four different rulers. He was imprisoned in Caesarea, hunted by Jewish zealots, caught in a hurricane at sea, almost executed by Roman guards, nearly drowned in a choppy ocean, and just as a cherry on top, he was bitten by a poisonous snake in Malta. Like, that's enough for a lifetime. And that was just from Jerusalem to Rome for him. Wave after wave of opposition and evil, but God made a promise. And when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. But see, you see, throughout the entire book of Acts, it has carried this thread of God's faithfulness from start to finish. He told his disciples, Acts chapter 1, Jesus, before he ascended, he told his disciples and promised them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples 
their vision for this Jesus movement was a national one. That's as far as their vision would take it. And Jesus is like, I'm going to take you deeper. I'm going to take you deeper. And so Acts 2, God pours out his spirit upon this motley crew. And he begins to carry them out beyond the place where their feet can touch the ground. And he begins to carry them even through waves of imprisonment, unjust trials, internal divisions, suffering, persecution, prejudice, even attempts at theological confusion. Wave after wave, God keeps lifting his church up until he carries them to the ends of the earth. Just as he promised from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria to Rome. And from Rome is when that message will in fact spread to the ends of the earth. This is who our father is. If we see anything else, this is who our father is. We have a father who moved heaven and earth just to reach our hearts. Man, while we covered the story of Acts, why don't we just cover the whole story? <laughs> the whole story. Because at the very beginning, the bigger story, the beginning of this whole divine rescue plan, God created a good world in his love. One where humanity lived in perfect harmony with him. But then came the lie. Then the pride. And then the sin. And since that moment, we've never known a world without sin, sickness, pain, or death. And it's something that humanity, we, and our own rebellion, severed ties, walked away from God. But even though our guilt is justified, and our alienation was the subsequent result of that, our God did not And he, at that point, began to orchestrate a plan of redemption that he began to carry out throughout human history. That although we walked away from God, God told Adam and Eve before they left, he said, the serpent may bite you on the heel, but it says, my offspring will crush his head. And then we see he shows up to a man named Abraham. He says, Abraham, I have a promise for you. That I know your wife's barren, but from you is going to become a people a descendant, a nation, a kingdom. 500 years later, it's not looking too good. It's been 400 years in Egypt, in slavery. These are the same promised people. God, what are you doing? And all of a sudden we see he brings Moses. Moses delivers them out, gives them a law, ultimately a land. They become a nation. Another 400, 500 years later, we see there's a king named David in that land, in that nation, just as God promised a millennia earlier, and now God's telling David, he's saying, I have a promise for you, that from you will come, and from your line will become an an eternal king and an eternal kingdom. And even though in David's line there is wave after wave of wicked kings, the people fall into false worship, and eventually God allows the nation of Babylon to to, to conquer them and send them and scatter them into exile. God, what are you doing? How is this promise going to be possibly fulfilled if you're sending your people across the world? But what does he do? He brings them back. And in bringing them back to Israel, Jerusalem, eventually, 400 years after he brings them back at the right time and the right place, God's son, heaven's king, Israel's Messiah, 
Our Savior was born into the world just as the prophets foretold he would be. That despite the rebellion of Israel, the time of exile, the foreign forces occupying the land, he was born in the line of David, the Lamb of God, who is going to become the final sacrifice for the sin of the world, yours and mine, that he might rise again and give us new life, just as our Father promised. Why am I sharing all this? Because we got to know who our Father is. Because I know that we've been experiencing waves of opposition, confusion, fear. We see that around us. But when we zoom out and try to wrap our minds around the God of history, who is he? A millennia from from Abraham to David. A millennia from David to Jesus. And now we see in the story of Acts, Jesus breathing his spirit out upon And it's gospel truth being carried to the ends of the earth. And now, two millennia after that, he called your name. What did God have to orchestrate in history to call your name? What did he go through and bring into line in order to ultimately get to the place where he says, let me share the message of my son with you, of his forgiveness, of his freedom. Think about that. Is that not mind-blowing to you? How he ultimately brought things about to the place where he calls your name. And so when he says, hey, let's go deeper, I got you. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Because when our God makes a promise, it's as good as done. And I know some of you might be thinking in that moment, Kirk, that was a lot. (laughs) That's a lot to wrap our minds around. It's supposed to blow our minds a bit. But for a lot of us, it's okay, it's amazing how God worked across history. Good. But, but, but I don't live in the past. I live right now. And right now is hard. And I'm, I'm sick of the virus. I'm sick of the news. I'm sick of the disrespect. I just want schools to open up again. Family problems are piling up. I'm afraid for my job, the future of this nation. I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Why can't God just make it all go away? Anybody there? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. And if that's where you are and you're able to express that, great. That's a healthy start. <laughs> that's a healthy start. But from there, it's important that we acknowledge next that while God is providentially working over history, he never promised a life without adversity. Yes, Paul made it to Rome. Yes, God fulfilled his promise. Wow, but he's in chains. It's like, well, God, that's one way to do it. But even in chains, you know, you get respect, Paul. Like, like he's got... Lemons, let's make some lemonade. So he invites a bunch of, he can't go out to the synagogues and talk to the Jewish leaders himself. So he's basically in quarantine, right? But the only difference is he can invite people to his house. And so he invites Jewish leaders to his house. He shares Jesus with them out of curiosity. They, they come and they hear. And he tells them, he says, listen, the reason why I'm in chains is not because I've done anything wrong against the Jews or the Romans. And I don't have anything against you guys. So they said, okay, cool. So they brought back a bunch more people. And they sit in this house, and he begins to explain to them from the Scriptures, morning till evening, who Jesus was, what God was doing. 
and begins to reason with them. And you're thinking in this moment, wow, this is amazing. Like, even though Paul's facing opposition, surely God's about to do something amazing. Like, like if, 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 if he's overcoming all of this and trusting God and sharing to all these guys, like, surely revival's about to break out in Rome. But it says that many believed, but many did not. And basically, instead of revival breaking out in the room, everybody just gets in an argument and fight and they leave. <laughs> God's promise is fulfilled, but Paul is in chains and now he's been rejected. Would any of us be tempted to have a little pity party at this point? I would be. Have you ever gotten to that place in life where you felt like you've arrived only to meet another setback? Have you ever gone through one storm to come out of it and meet a hurricane? (laughs) Have you ever prayed for the right job, got it, and then found out that the work environment was toxic? Have you ever saved up for retirement, and right before you got there, the stock market crashes? Have you ever gotten into the school of your dreams, but then you find out they discontinued your major once you got there? Have you ever gotten to that place where like, oh, Finally, only to then have a wave smack you in the face again. When life is going well, it is easy to say, I trust in God's providence. But once those waves start coming, they look so big and they look bigger than us. And we say, I I don't know about this anymore. I was talking to somebody before service, actually, who was being very honest with me. And he says, yeah, he says, Sometimes during this whole season, I've stopped and I've said, well, maybe I'm having a hard time trusting Jesus because of the things going on. I said, of course. When we encounter opposition, that's when our faith is truly tested. And we want to say after disappointments, God, where are you? What are you doing? But it's these disappointments, though real and hard, that prompt us to move beyond what I call life-level questions to soul-level questions. See, life-level questions typically concern events, circumstances, the the day-to-day sort of questions that we ask. You know, uh, when will schools open? Uh, Will I get the job? What are my responsibilities? What are my salary? What's on my to-do list today? Like, these are life-level questions that we're used to asking ourselves every day. These are good. These are normal. Soul-level questions... They're the ones that go a bit deeper, that get at who we are and what we truly believe. Who am I? Who is God? What really matters? Do I matter? Am I loved? These are the sorts of questions that, whether we realize it or not, how we answer these determines how we live. But oftentimes we don't ask these until something's wrong. I don't, I don't lift up the hood of my car unless there's a weird sound coming out of it. Unless it's not working. And it's the same. We don't tend to ask those deeper questions, even though they're vital to our lives. We don't tend to ask them until anxiety hits. The addiction is controlling. Grief is heavy. Anger is out of control. And this is the moment when our Father often comes to us and asks, can I take you deeper now? Can I take you deeper now? Can I show you the reality of my grace? Can I show you my power in the midst of your weakness? Yes, the waves are real, but grip tighter. Grip tighter. 
It's interesting to me that, you know, Paul, while he was in that house in Rome, wrote several letters. We call the prison epistles. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. And, and so while he was in this house, writing to a church in Philippi, he said these words. Again, enchained, rejected, but he pens these words. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me what? Him who lifts me up a wave after wave. When adversity forces us to look under the hood of our soul and begin to ask those deeper questions, we bring them before our Father and we say, just do what only you can do. And when we begin to bring our struggle to our Father, this is when he begins to set us free to boldly follow Christ toward a world that does not know him yet. So, after the Jewish leaders in Rome reject Paul's message, he doesn't allow doubt, fear, anger to run amok in the midst of his disappointment. What does he do? He looks immediately to God's word. And even before they're out the door, he, he quotes from them Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, which I'll paraphrase basically. You can speak about Jesus till you're blue in the face, but if somebody's not willing to hear or receive it, that's not on you. And interesting, Jesus, not only did Isaiah say that to Israel, Jesus said that to Jews in Matthew 13 and Mark 4. And so Paul's sitting there realizing, instead of getting down on myself, like I didn't do this right, or I'm not doing enough, or feeling embarrassed, he says, wait, even people even rejected Jesus. He says, so I was faithful. I did what I was called to do. He left the results up to God. So discouragement doesn't lead him back to shore, but he just goes out deeper. And we see the way this whole story ends. It says, for two years, he welcomed everyone who came by, proclaiming the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And as I thought about this more, I thought, you know, the chains are a big bummer for Paul. The rejection, all that he's been through in his life. But I think his suffering actually served to authenticate his witness of Jesus. Shelby and I, one of our favorite shows um, that we, we've watched, series, is uh, Band of Brothers. Anybody ever seen Band of Brothers before? Like, is it not awesome? Amazing. Band of Brothers uh, is, is a mini-series. Uh, that dramatizes the history of Easy Company, which is the 2nd Battalion of the 506th Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division in war, during World War II. And it tracks their, their trek across Europe. And I love, though, that as you watch each, each episode, they find original soldiers from that battalion, you know, quite a bit older, but they start sharing before each episode of, of the battles, the long winters, the struggles the casualties, all that they went through. And as you're watching these guys, you can't help but to think, these guys are the real deal. Wow. And I couldn't help but to think, if that's how those listening to Paul felt. That yes, the suffering was hard. And he went through wave after wave of opposition. 
But as they're watching and hearing this man who risked his life over and over again, who went through countless things that that waves come at him, but he's still faithful on the other side. How they just say, this guy's got to be the real deal. Either he's crazy or this is true. See, after we've learned to grip the neck of the Father and the uncertain times, and as he carries us over each wave at a time, faith begins to build. And after we've started to go through those things and our trust is more secure, all of a sudden we see how God begins to use our suffering even as a way to point people toward him. And at this point, No one can make Paul afraid. He was speaking about heaven's king in Caesar's city. There was a guard sitting right beside him the whole time. He didn't care. He says, I'm going to tell you who my God is. He may have been Rome's prisoner, but he was completely free. That no matter what the waves of heaven and earth rolled toward him, his God was the director of history, the author of salvation, The champion over death. The one who promises resurrection glory for all who believe. And so my question to you is, do you know him? Do you know him? If you don't, I want to talk to you after service. Pastor Dave and I are going to be at a white tent right outside after service. Come by. We would love to pray with you, talk with you, answer any questions you got. Or if you're watching online, reach out to me, Kirk at TrinityNR.org, or simply shoot us a message on Facebook, whatever works. But we want to touch base with you. Because the gospel of Jesus cannot be chained, for it is the power of God to set us free. So we've reached the end of Acts. And what a ride, huh? What a ride. But I find that the end is unresolved. It leaves us with these questions of, well, what happens to Paul? Right? Like, tells message bold without hindrance, but but what happens to Paul after that? Surely Luke knew. History tells us that Paul was eventually executed at the hand, at the order of Emperor Nero in A.D. 64. Some people believe that Paul left Rome after those two years, went to Spain, came back and was rearrested. Some people say he never left Rome. It's unclear really what happened, but for Luke, that's not his concern. Luke is not interested in trying to give us that information as much as we want it, but it's interesting. The way he ends this letter does feel like an unresolved dot, dot, dot. Why? Because I believe that this book ends with an invitation. That invitation is first, do you know Jesus and will you trust him? Second, for those who do believe, will we step off the shore? Will we step out deeper into the unknown? Into the areas where our feet no longer feel like they can touch the ground? Will we trust the arms of the Father over all of history to carry us through and over? Will we go from fear to faith, faith to freedom? Will we speak boldly without hindrance? And the thing is, standing on the shore, we love to think about this. But the only way that we begin to develop faith 
is by taking that step. By letting our Father pick us up. We, we learn not to try to do it on our own, but grip his neck and let him carry us out. No one can chain the gospel, for it is the power of God to set us free. Church, let's stand and pray. Father God, despite my limitations, despite my own humanity, man, I, I just pray that your power that your spirit worked, that you are working and drawing each of our hearts to you. God, if our hearts are not receptive to you, if there is something that, that we have just numbed your voice, we, 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 we've silenced ourselves to your voice, God, I pray that by your grace that you would open us up, that you would, you would show us who you are again. God, that you show us that even though we may have been on the shore for 30 years, 50 years, that you're still just as capable to pick us up, to carry us, to show us what faith looks like, to bring us to greater freedom, boldness, without hindrance. God, that's what I want for my life. That's what you've been doing in my life. And God, I pray that you show me. I'm so, I have such a habit, God, of just trusting in myself. I've trusted in myself for so long. I almost don't know how to just lean into you. Will you show us one day at a time? One wave at a time. Show us that you're the God of history who lifts us up. And as, we, as you begin to carry us out, I pray that you would fill us with your joy, your laughter. God, that we start saying, go deeper, Dad, deeper, Dad. We want all that you have for us. Thank you that you never give up on us. And may you call us to yourself now. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Let's sing. Let's sing.